0: This Tuesday morning, the 3rd of October, 1990, at half after ten, I typed the last sentence of the novel that will complete what the critics have taken to calling the Grenzler Octet, as if I'd planned from the beginning to write eight interrelated books on the same theme. No, that came about by accident. In 1967, when I was 44, I imagined a compact little enclave in the Pennsylvania Dutch country, 16 miles east to west, 10 and a half north to south, tucked in between the three well-known German cities of Allentown on the north, Reading on the west, and Lancaster on the south. It was such a well-defined area, and so filled with fascinating rural people who adhered to ancient German ways and speech, that... After defining it rather solidly in my first novel, I made use of it in the works that followed. I gave it a made-up regional name, Grenzler, and visualized myself as living within its boundaries, so that by the time I started this book, which I'm calling Stone Walls to evoke the obdurate nature of my beloved Dutchman and their relationship to their land, I could imagine writing about no other part of the world, or even of the United States, or even Pennsylvania. As so often happens with writers, my imaginary terrain had become more real to me than the physical one that surrounded me. Patting the completed manuscript as if to give it my final approval, I left my study, came downstairs to the kitchen, and shouted the great news. Emma, it's finished! Now we can start living again. My wife could not quite echo my enthusiasm, for she remembered the drudgery that had been required to polish my seven previous novels. I know what lies ahead. It's October 1990. We'll have a year of clean-up work, suggestions from New York, revisions, then proofreading. Maybe a printed book this time next year, October 1991. But she did not wish to dampen my triumph. So with a bright smile she pointed to her oven, from which came one of those unequaled smells that make a Pennsylvania Dutch kitchen a hallowed place. It could have come from the making of apple butter— "'or the concocting of rich mincemeat "'or the baking of a pumpkin pie with nutmeg. "'This particular one was, in my opinion, the best of all. "'The tantalizing smell of rice pudding "'baked in the traditional Dutch way. "'Opening the front door of her oven "'and using heavy woolen mittens, "'Emma drew out a handsome German cooking bowl "'of heavy brown ware, 14 inches across and 6 inches high, "'flared at the top so the sides were not perpendicular. In it she had prepared one of the glories of Dutch cooking, golden brown on top, speckled with raisins beneath the crust-like surface. An Emma Yoder rice pudding was not one of those characterless affairs made with rice already boiled and a milky thin custard with no raisins but maybe a little bit of cinnamon on top. For her, no boiling but baking only, and that took time, plus careful attention as the pudding neared completion.' That was why the container in which she baked it had to be much deeper than one might have expected, for after the hard grains of rice had cooked slowly for several hours until soft, and the raisins had been thrown in, and then the cinnamon, real cooking began, and at ten or fifteen minute intervals a beautiful brown crust would cover the top, the color coming from caramelized sugar in the mix. Then with a long-handled spoon she would stir the forming crust back into the pudding so that in time this tasty amber richness was mixed visibly throughout the entire pudding. The art of making a true German rice pudding lies in starting with the right proportions of uncooked rice and rich milk. At the beginning it looks very watery, but as it bakes and the excess liquid vanishes in steam, the milk, eggs, and sugar combine magically into one of the choicest custards of all cuisines. But what makes the German pudding so wondrous to the taste is the intermixing of caramelized crust and the raisins into the custard. A union like that does not happen accidentally. Make open the refrigerator, she directed, falling back on a Pennsylvania Dutch idiom of her childhood, even though she'd taught English in nearby Souderton during much of our married life. All right yet, I said, mimicking her. But before she placed the pudding inside to be cooled, she filled two small cups with the steaming richness. These she and I would eat as part of a ritual we'd honored since the completion of my first novel decades ago. As we sat in our colorful kitchen, where we seemed to spend most of our lives waiting for our feast to cool, she asked, ''Will the editing be easier this time?'' And I said, ''Harder. As you grow older, you have more to lose.'' Were you serious when you said this might be your last one?'' "'Positively. I wouldn't have the energy for another big one, nor the courage. Aware that these were moments of special meaning, she stopped behind my chair and placed her hand on my shoulder. Eight novels. First four so poorly received. Last four such triumphs. "'Hold everything. I have serious doubts about this one.' She sniffed. "'With your track record.' A writer's only as good as his next one, and I'm a bit uncertain about this one. Is it so different from your last three winners? Yes, this time there's no personal antagonisms as with the suspender men in Shunning, and no Pennsylvania Dutch mysticism as in Hex. You're turning your back on what made those books so popular? Is that wise? I've pondered it a long time, and I'm sure it's wise.' "'This book's about the Grenzler land and how we Dutch cheat ourselves "'if we either abuse it or stray too far from it "'by breaking down our historic stone fence lines, our barn walls. "'The ecology kick. Are you sure your readers are ready for it? "'It's my job to make them ready. "'Good luck, Roger Tory peterson